Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We brought you damn good beer, but now we're bringing to you damn good beef. Honestly, we've been doing this long enough now that we could probably say past tense, we brought you damn good beef. You know, we're all bought in. We yeah. will be bringing yeah. you even more damn good beef starting, I think tomorrow is at least what they were saying on the Nugget show last night when we replace the, the normal hamburger at the bar with Hassle Cattle Company Wagyu hamburger. It's really good stuff. Um, the hamburger in particular is very good. It won Food Network's Northeast Burger Jam. There's a whole bunch of other products. Maybe someday you'll be able to try those at the DMVR bar too. Uh, but right now you can't, but you can still check them out at hasslecattlecompany.com. H-A-S-S-E-L-L cattlecompany.com. Use the promo code DNVR10 for 10% off your order. Um, so many awesome products. And again, it's Wagyu beef, the best you can find anywhere. There's no hormones, no antibiotics. Um, they get orders from all sorts of awesome people who could afford any beef they want. And they choose Hassle Cow Company's Blue Collar Wagyu, which is affordable for every man and woman. Definitely check out HassleCattleCompany.com and use that code DMVR10 for 10% off your order. Um, any order over $200 and you'll get free shipping with that code. Welcome in to the DMVR Draft Podcast. Um, our usual cast of characters here on a Thursday. We've got a great class to get into. Um, but right as we were going off, uh, Jake said, oh, I see a Pat McAfee tweet that Justin Fields now the betting favorite to go um, to the 49ers at third overall, which, of course, a big change from what we've been hearing the last couple of weeks. That's in fact the case on um, DraftKings Sportsbook, right? The the presenting sponsor, yeah, Hank. Yes, um, sir. Of this uh, lovely show, and that is extremely interesting because that's only part of the story here. I think um, because Mac Jones remains a minus three hundred five favorite to be a top five pick and on top of that Justin Field or Trey Lance the odds of what team to select Trey Lance Broncos Niners in a dead heat both at plus 300 but the book is also telling us the Niners leaning more fields as of this moment um, all this very interesting because fields rising maybe meaning Mac Jones not falling um and yeah, lots to get into with this, fellas. And Mel Kuyper also dropped 
Amok, I'm I'm pretty surprised by all this. I am pretty, pretty surprised. What do you all make of make of it? I mean, I feel like right now is just like it, it's Justin Fields hype time. It seems like the last week or so people have been saying, you know, really, like, why has everybody been so low on him compared to everybody else? And now we're at the point where like basically everybody is saying that he has the pro day yesterday. I think like Sports Center, ESPN, or one of the big Twitter, Instagram accounts were like putting out pictures of him with uh or Kyle Shanahan with Fields or with the coaches. And I I think it's just kind of what's going on right now. That's the narrative when you go through Justin Fields Pro Day and you do see Kyle Shanahan out there giggling or whatever. Um to me, I still think it's Mac Jones. I think that a week from now we're gonna be like, oh yeah, remember that little blip? Probably should have taken advantage of those Mac Jones odds then. This is just kind of how the draft season works, right? We go in revolutions. Feel like we're kind of coming back full, full circle now to where we were, um, maybe about a year ago at this point, where yeah. Fields was, you know, re- very highly ranked by everyone, almost unanimously QB two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Zach Wilson's rise obviously threw a wrench into that. But DraftKings is saying that hey, Justin Fields appears to be the odds-on favorite for third overall. Mm-hmm. And if you would have told me that a year ago, I would not have been surprised at all. Yeah, yeah you would have thought Trevor Lawrence. Penny Sewell, Justin Fields. Yep. Maybe. No, I still don't think we're getting Penny Sewell at two, though. Though. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Crazy. And again, though, the book telling us that they think Mac Jones will go ahead of Trey Lance. Trey Lance um, to go over six and a half as far as his draft position is in the minus, minus 125. Mac Jones minus 350 to go in the top five. I guess I mean that that is surprising given the odds for him to go number three because that is the most natural landing place for him. Um, right. So what are the other natural landing spots? The, the Patriots at fifteen. Like, like I, I do think that if if he's not going to go at three, are the Falcons really going to take Mac Jones at four? No. Are the Bengals going to take Mac Jones? Why not though. I don't think so. I I don't. And I guess I could see how you could talk yourself into it. Like there's a lot of similarities with Matt Ryan. But to me, like if you're the the Falcons, you're not planning on playing whoever you draft this year anyway. Mac Jones just isn't the fit. You know, Trey Lance is somebody who needs to sit and develop. If you want to go get a quarterback, why not play the upside game instead of going with Mac Jones? So I, I don't like that. And on top of that, I don't, I, I think it's 50-50 the Falcons take a quarterback in the first place. From there, you look at the Bengals at five and say, well, that's not going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And so maybe there's like a trade that shakes things up, something like that. But if he doesn't go at three, I don't think he will go in the top five. The thing I keep coming back to is if Daniel Jones is the six overall pick in whatever class that was, why not Mac Jones yeah. top five? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or Baker Mayfield first overall in that class. Yep. I mean, that's just it. And I think yeah. this is what we come back to as the book is telling us what, I think we've been saying for a little bit is that the NFL probably values Mac Jones more than um, the media does, certainly. And look, here's the other thing. There's a difference between NFL decision makers and NFL scouts. I'm sure NFL scouts are probably more in line with media types who do this year round. Um, and then they're all talking to each other and that just like ingrains this even further, but that's way different from NFL decision makers, these GMs and these head coaches who have a ton of say, especially in quarterback picks, 
Um, and I think those guys are very intrigued from what a guy like Mac Jones did against in the SEC with a way worse receiving uh, core than uh, Tua in a in a Sarkeesian offense. I mean, a, a pro style offense for football in twenty twenty one. Way worse than Tua's might be a little extreme. I mean, Judy and Rugs are big pieces, though. Yeah, you think so? Four, four yeah, I mean, definitely, but. Versus one first rounder, I do think is significantly downgraded. Yeah, I guess that's true. At the same time, though, like Devonte Smith, I guess maybe he he has been the same player for a few years and now just got the opportunity. But he, you have a Heisman winner out there. You have a Heisman candidate in the backfield. They definitely a better core before. I mean, like by my, they have two more guys. Yeah, no, three though. Two and a half because Waddle was out half the season. That's a good point. Waddle being out does also, change some things. Devontae Smith in 2019, 18 yards per reception, like 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns. Yeah. So it's not like he was underperforming for two. He was still like the best wide receiver in the country. True. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Justin, any thoughts on this? You've been, uh, you've been the quiet one. Or are you muted? Oh, no, I was just listening in. Um, oh, there we go. I don't know. I think the thing is he had the best sample size of anyone this year. That's really what it comes down to with. Do you feel comfortable investing in him or Trey Lance? If you didn't, if you're not, you know, a scout type, if you're not, you know, betting on Trey Lance's upside, if you just watched a bunch of college football and you were like, who do I trust the most? I think that's Mac Jones. And I don't know. It's not surprising to me that he's, he's skyrocketed. I've been high on him all year. Top five, if he doesn't go to San Francisco, maybe a little bit of a long shot. But I think the other argument is, is if he doesn't go to San Francisco, I think it's more likely somebody trades up to take him than he actually falls, you know, all the way to 15. I don't see him falling out of the top 10. And look, that could be Denver. I mean, for all we know, that could be Denver. Definitely could be. They could love him. Carolina could still love him. The Patriots might want to make a big move. And you're right, Justin. That really is the other point in this that the book is telling us beyond just Fields versus Mac Jones is also Mac Jones versus Trey Lance. And that comparison is a bit more apples to apples because you're both going off one season starting, both dominant programs. Um, and, you know, it's it really comes down to what traits do you prefer? Do you prefer accuracy and NFL ready? And... Uh, more pro ready, I have a hard time because Trey Lance is the dude running the most like conventional pro sets. Uh, I mean, minus Jake Fromm, but maybe even Fromm. Like, it's been a long while since I saw a guy run as much like true pro style offense as um, Trey Lance does at North Dakota State. So, um, it's interesting. I think. I think it's exciting. If you guys had to put your money on it, though, who's going to be the third pit or where do all these quarterbacks go? Go ahead and adjust. I'm just curious real quick. And this is a a point we kind of talked about in the uh, DNVR Madden league. This is my theory on Trey Lance. I think, I think Trey Lance still probably goes ahead of Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is going to be the last of the quarterbacks taken. I think they all end up going top 10, but I really think people are going to look at, at Trey Lance and, you kind of look at a situation like Josh Allen up in up in Buffalo and, and what people were saying, you know, coming in, it was like, well, I don't know, he's a bit of a bit of a project, but then you look at some of the throws he was making downfield 
You're like, well, you put him in a system with some real receivers, this dude could really pop. And obviously he has. And I think it's kind of a similar situation with Lance. You know that he can handle the reads. Like you said, he's playing in the pro system. He has the arm strength. He's a great athlete. Like if, if you if you just put the talent around him, you know, he very well could pop. And I think that's that's why a GM's gonna fall in love with him. And and I like Mac Jones and I like his upside. I just think that that possibility with Trey Lance is just too appealing. Yeah, and for a team like Atlanta or the Broncos, even that already have a guy already in the room that could start games for you, why not take Trey Lance? I mean, you can afford to kind of have him sit and learn for half a year to a year if you need to. Um, I mean, best case scenario, he just shows up at training camp and his lights out. So uh, it's kind of a win-win, I guess. I mean, you're betting on the development, but the upside is just tremendous. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the throws he can make with all that can be said about Trey Lance, and we'll get into him a little more in segment three, because we've got a question. Um, I think it's really been lost the kind of arm strength he has from within the pocket Um, and how much of these like insane dimes in windows that are basically already shut. He is able to just like sling, um, you know, like it's nothing until they get open. Like it's, it's not as the thing about Mac Jones is, and obviously this has been brought up a lot is he's had a lot of great receivers and I'm not trying to be, Sure. dismissive of the receivers at North Dakota State, but they're not getting open the way that the Alabama receivers are downfield. They're also dropping a lot of ropes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. And it was a similar situation with Allen at Wyoming. You know what I mean? Just watch him. <laughs> yes. The throws yes. are there. The receivers, they are not. There are throws. Sometimes Trey Lance misses a guy by 10 yards, and I think, shit, actually in the NFL, that receiver might be in that exact spot. And those are just like the questions, though, with Trey Lance. And you just have so many questions. And you can see all the good things he does. But again, 44% of his passes, 20-plus yards downfield, are on target. And some of that's like throwaways and knowing like, ah, don't take the risk here. But it is worth noting that you see the flashes. And and even the numbers are good. You know, completed two-thirds of his passes, all the touchdowns without the interception. There's a lot of good stuff, too. But there are those things that make you think like, couldn't you have done just a little bit more? One year as a starter, pretty dominant. Um, Really crazy that we didn't get to see him for one more year. Okay, let's get into this Kuiper mock. That one does still go one, two, three with um, Mac Jones at third overall. Um, Obviously feeling a little outdated by this point. The part that was really crazy about this mock was the Dolphins moving up to four and to get Kyle Pitts and letting... um, Trey Lance fall to six to the Falcons. I don't know why you would ever do that. Um, I don't know why the Falcons would do that. Why would they trade back if they want a quarterback so bad? They'd take him at four, wouldn't they? Absolutely. And the the Dolphins have already made their move to six because that's a sweet spot to be in, not because they need to make yet another move. Um, And also, yeah, I think you'd be getting more value if you traded to a team that wanted a quarterback at that four spot. If so, yeah, that just seems like nonsense. Uh, The Lions taking Jamar Chase, the Panthers taking Devontae Smith, um, which I don't know. There are a lot of wide receivers there already. I'd be surprised. They feel more like a Slater team. They feel even like a Mac Jones team. 
I don't know. I'd be surprised to see wide receiver there. Kyle Pitts would make a lot of sense. Sertain would make a lot of sense. Um, I could even see Parsons making sense. Parsons goes to the Broncos at nine. And then the Patriots trade up to 10 to get Justin Fields. Um, so I don't know, a bit of a wacky top 10 there. Like the trades just seem kind of placed in random spots. Um, then you have, you know, kind of the usual suspects from 11 through 15, really. The After that trade, the Cowboys fall perfectly and get J.C. Horn at 15. And it's, uh, you know, in some order, uh, Waddle, Sertain, Slater, Darisaw. I thought it got kind of fun here in the latter part of the first round where you have Greg Newsom going at 23, Najee Harris at 24, Mooring at 25, Jamin Davis at 26, Terrace Marshall at 27, Zayvon Collins at 28, Bateman at 29. Bateman to the Packers would be an insane fit. Um, Ojulari and Jason Owe um, kind of dropping to 30 and 31. And then I found it really interesting. Some of the names he had in the second round, including um, Malcolm Conesy out of uh, Buffalo, the edge rusher, who like is a good player, but um, boy, to be in the top 50 would be insane. I, I thought of you when I saw Mari Rogers going 46th overall. Jake, um, definitely the, the hype is real there. Davis Mills, pretty high pick at 51. Anthony Schwartz, the speedy wide receiver out of Auburn, been one of the fastest wide receivers in college football for years, never quite produced, been more of a gadget. He goes 52nd. That would be kind of crazy. Um, and then Hank, it closes the, the second round out with Semi Fioco out of Stanford, who we kind of have talked about before. Yeah. And again, I really like him. And the reason I didn't really, really like him before uh, the last like month or so is because I didn't think that he would be blazing fast in his 40. Um, but yeah, to see him in the second round, like we've seen what he did to the Pac-12. And when you're six foot four and you can move like that, that is a skill set that NFL teams want. I think that you look at him and say like, oh, please be Chase Claypool. And he might not have that size, that explosion, but after what Chase Claypool did last year, I think that that's helping bump Bayoko up a little bit this year. Oh, there you go. Anything else that stands out to you guys from the, the mock, or should we move to this loaded class that had a ton of dudes going in the first two rounds of this mock? I got oh, two real quick points. Yeah. Go ahead, Jake. Uh, sorry. Uh, just real quick on the Broncos again at nine. Isn't this the second time that Kuyper's had them skipping on a quarterback and having someone trade up and uh, take the guy like right after them? Um, so I don't know what he got against the Broncos taking a quarterback. And then uh, uh, just taking... He's hearing that the Broncos are going to stick with Locke, you know. Very true. Um, and then we'll get into this a bit more later when we talk about the cornerback class. But having Tyson Campbell go over Eric Stokes is kind of crazy to me. Nuts. Nuts. I would be shocked. Um eh. It'd be very NFL-y because um, I guess in some ways he's the higher upside guy, but shit, Stokes has so many tools that would be surprising. Um, I'll throw... Uh, I, I just Eskridge love... feels like a weird fit in Cleveland. I'm sorry, Hank. Oh, it's all good. I, he's a guy that you like, though, right? Dwayne Eskridge, the, the speedy dude out of uh, yeah. Western Michigan. 
Yeah. I, I feel like if Cleveland was going to go get a receiver, they'd go get a big bodied guy just based on who they kind of have right now. I do like Rondale or to per, um, going to the saints, just given they lost Emmanuel Sanders. They could use, you know, a deep threat. He's small, but you know, great receiver. You would have hands. fun with him. Yeah, exactly. He just, it feels like a good fit. We'll say yeah. in a second round that's full of offensive playmaker, someone like Kadarius Tony dropping the 32 would be almost criminal. It would be incredible. Um, my my big note though is just how much I love Najee Harris's fit with the Steelers. Just feels like if they want to go back to like the the Le'Veon Bell days, like good football team, passing game is there, all that. Like that's just a workhorse who can run the ball, catch the ball, he's patient, sees holes. And I've kind of been daydreaming about him with the Steelers now that James Conner's gone. And happy to see that in there. I'd be really surprised if Devontae Smith went at eight. Um, you know, that's a huge pick in front of the Broncos. It'd be amazing for a wide receiver to go there. They just have DJ Moore. They have Robbie Anderson. You know, you still have McCaffrey there, who's kind of half wide receiver, half um, running back at... I don't know. It would be it would be kind of surprising for me. I think that that's fair. At the same time, though, he's a really, really good football player. And yeah. Yeah. I think the best player on the board, at least in my opinion, at that point. And in you modern NFL, you put three receivers on the field. And sure, that means you you probably play Christian McCaffrey like more in the backfield, but you could still move him around and do that kind of stuff. I just think, you know, it's an opportunity for them to have a very clear strength, which right now. Offensive playmakers, it's a strength. But Christian McCaffrey is carrying a, a big load, and when he's not available, I think that having another weapon could be uh, could be valuable. I agree, though. Like Sertain would make a bunch of sense. Some of those guys. That'd be a huge step up from Darnold, though. Going from that Jets offense to Devontae Smith, Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. That'd be huge. Curtis Samuel. Yeah. Curtis Samuel. Yeah. Oh, Samuel Maybe back. Nuts, yeah. I missed that. Oh, oh, right. Oh no, right, he's right. a. Oh, you're right. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. Forgot about that. Um, let's so I think the book and maybe even the Darnold trade is telling us all along that Atlanta, if Mac Jones was around, that was his fault. Carolina knew they couldn't trade up to that point. And so they went with plan B, Sam Darnold, who one report came out today sounded like maybe Sam Darnold kind of plan A for San Francisco then couldn't trade for him. Huh. But yeah, I the compensation doesn't make sense there. So yeah. let's take a quick break, Hankster, and uh, we'll get into this loaded cornerback class. So much to talk about with these guys. Let's do it. And first of all, I'll remind everybody, uh, if you are not a member of DMVR, now is the time. Um, You'll get all the same perks you always get. Big beers for the price of small beers at the DNVR bar. Uh, access to the DNVR lounge, which is our members-only Discord. Um, but right now, there's an awesome deal. If you sign up for an annual membership or a membership that's longer than that, uh, you can get yourself a free t-shirt from the DNVR locker. Um, you also get a Recover Holistic Stick from holistic wellness. Um, it's like a CBD stick. All the products there are based on CBD. And it's really simple. You stir it around in your drink, you drink it and uh, check out whether it works for you or not. Um, 
You can also check out holisticwellness.com. That's H-O-L-I-S-T-I-K wellness.com. Um, better yet, they're actually offering our listeners 30% off their first purchase when using the code DMVR30. So get an annual membership with a free DMVR shirt and a free holistic stick uh, with a coupon inside or just go straight to Holistic Wellness and use that DMVR30 code for 30% off whatever you want. Uh, basketball teams are entering the final month of the regular season. And as they gear up for the playoffs, uh, some teams are locks to make the playoffs and others are still fighting for the opportunity to chase the trophy this summer. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. All you have to do is pick a team. And if that team hits a three, you bring home $100 in free bets. It's a great deal. Um, this year's teams have been hitting threes at, at an unprecedented rate. Um, so get in on all the action with DraftKings Sportsbook before this offer ends. Uh, there's plenty of other stuff to bet on, like uh, some of the draft stuff draft we talked points. about earlier. There's there's golf, there's hockey. Uh, it's baseball season. If you want to make some money on the Rockies being as bad as they are, so many options. So download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code DMVR when you sign up to make sure that you turn $1 into $100 in free bets. If the basketball team of your choosing hits a three, it's code DMVR to turn $1 into $100 in free bets for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Also, uh, Gabby Insurance. Uh, Gabby stands for Get A Better Insurance, G-A-B-I. Um, and the way that they help you do that is by basically asking you to submit your insurance policy, which they send out to 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers. And it's all in one place. Like You just get to see the quotes, pick who you want, and get the exact same insurance, but for less money than you're paying right now. Um, if you guys are Nuggets fans, you've been paying attention to our Nuggets coverage. You know Eric Weedham. Um, you know him as D-Line. He saved over $1.3,000 per year by using Gabby. Um, Lindsay, our sales director, uh, saved hundreds of dollars. Drew saved hundreds of dollars. A AJ, there's there's so much money to be saved. So definitely make sure that you are getting the best rate. It only takes a couple of minutes uh, to check. On average, Gabby customers save $961 per year. Um, they never sell your info. There's no annoying spam or robocalls. So Put your policy to the test like we did. Get a better insurance with Gabby. It's totally free to check out. There's no obligation. So go to gabby.com slash DNVR. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash DNVR. Nice. Um, yeah, quarterback class. We're going to start from the top. Lots of names to cover here. Um, it's going to tie into some of the questions we have on the quarterback class as well. We're going to start from the top. Is there a consensus with the top corner? And maybe we should even go top two. Um, Jake, you start us off. Who are your top two guys? Yep. Patrick Sertain at uh, number one. I mean, the reasons why are just, I mean, you could just keep going. So pro ready, bloodlines, yep. athletically insane, uh, technically insane. Um, so he's easy. Number one for me. And number two, I've got JC Horn from South Carolina. Mm. Um, I have Farley a bit down the list. Just, I, we haven't seen him play in so long. The back mm. surgery too. I think there was a wrench in the things horn also NFL bloodlines, 
got the athleticism, length, uh, ball skills, coverage skills, smooth feet. Yeah. So physicality to his game too. Yep. Um, Justin, we've been seeing certain basically be an NFL prospect. I mean, a, a CB one on a stout defense that always produces NFL talent as a true freshman from day one, not much has changed. Um, fair for me to assume he's your cornerback one as well. And who's your cornerback too? Yeah. I mean, you just look at certain's resume and it's absurd. The guys yeah. that he's been tasked covering his career and had, you know, really good success against mm -hmm. obviously the Alabama defense took a little bit of a step back this year. And there were, you know, he gave up a couple of plays where, was a little bit disappointing but overall he's just so solid so consistent yeah. and you can just trust him um my cornerback too I'm, I'm right in line with jake it's it's jc horn i really like farley but i do have concerns about his health long term yeah. and with the way that horns tested the athleticism that he's shown i think somebody's just gonna fall in love with that i mean you can if you're a defensive coordinator, you're looking at that guy and you're looking the way way he moves. And you know, you put him a guy like you know Tyree Kill, and he's gonna be able to run with him. So that's a that's a definitely a bonus to having a defense. Love either of those dudes. And what a class. This cornerback class is just insane. It, it's gonna be fun to get yeah. into. Yeah, it's a uh, super deep. You've got a guy like Sertain who's gonna be as safe a prospect as you can get at a premium position. Um, but Hank. And I think this is interesting. You mentioned when we um, were talking earlier, lots of number two cornerbacks in this group as well. Yeah, that's that's what I see. I think I think you have you have three guys you look at and say those are number one corners. Um, those are my top three. I've got uh, Sertan number one. I've got Horn number two, and I've got Farley number three. I think mm. when you look at this draft, those are the three prospects that you really like. To me, like the reason I put. Farley down, honestly, like different player than Horn, but very similar in my mind in terms of who I'd want just because of the back surgery and yeah. stuff. That's why I knocked him down. And even like Greg Newsom at number four, just because of the speed, I think it becomes a conversation because of the injuries. Um, so Tan though, big has all the size that you want. Uh, tested well, has the speed. He's been productive. He's been like in the right position uh, consistently. The technique is just perfect. He makes plays on the ball. And, you know, it's like the, the bloodlines having his dad as an NFL cornerback. Like, that's the tiebreaker. But to me, like, it's not a tie between him and anybody else. He is a pretty clear number one in this class to me. Um, once He's you get such outside, a technician. You know, just because you guys have talked about he them. He should be a top five pick if it wasn't so quarterback heavy. Like, in a lot of I years, agree. he would be going a lot higher than he's probably going to go. And now, is he is he going to be a lockdown corner? Is it going to be like the dude in the league? Will we be talking about certain Island in five years? I think you're That's my only hang up with him. I, I think you're confident that he's going to be a, a cornerback one and a good cornerback one. I what think with I, just about anybody, really? you could have those questions. I, I, I like, I like the, the attitude for sure. Anymore in the modern passing game with like everything that they're asked to do and how just insane it is. Is it even fair to ask somebody to be that champ Bailey type? I mean, you have to hope I don't for know. It, I'm, right? I'm genuinely asking. I mean, how many are there in the league right now? Know. Like Gilmore probably isn't anymore. Yeah. Ramsey is probably Ramsey's the closest, closest thing we have to it. I think Gilmore was the closest, but yeah, it's but, but right now is he, I don't two, think okay. so. He just had a bad year, though. I mean, you never know. Bad yeah. defense, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm just saying that's that's my hang up and giving him like an elite grade. Yeah. Because he really checks off everything, but then it's true. Like the defense was kind of average this year and he did give up some bigger plays. Yeah. And at times, like he's definitely an outside corner, which is something you've said in the past, Dre. And going back and watching, it's like, yeah, when when he tries to like run through the middle of the field, like through congestion, it doesn't like pick plays can work on him. And that's kind of just the nature of being a bigger yeah. dude, I guess. Um moving on though, to right. and- some Being of these the number guys. one lockdown corner, though, those are the man beaters that they're going to throw at you, right? For so, sure. For sure. Um, it, I'm, I'm glad you underlined that because, like, even when he ran a 4 3 9 and really tested off the try, especially for his size, mm-hmm. he hmm. isn't bursty. I'm not, I'm not sure I see that. Right. He's not bursty. He's not like twitched up necessarily, mm-hmm. but then he's, he's got the size. He's got the athleticism. He's so technically proficient. It's really rare to see him beat. But yeah, I do wonder, like, will he, like Denver at number nine, will he justify that pick and be your champ Bailey and like lock down someone every time they play the Chiefs? Yeah. And, and I'm just looking at like the Dane Brugler draft guide. You know, he, Patrick Sertain has 78 and a half inch wingspan. That is the longest of anybody until you get down to his number 22 prospect. But like because Patrick Sertain has been so good and has so many different skills, you don't even like talk about that with him. And I do think like when you just look at him and the traits that he has, you watch him play and you're like, just just go in the NFL and do the exact same thing. Whereas with Farley and Horn, they got the job done for sure. But it does feel just like a little bit more frantic and not quite so in control. Like Sertain is just out there doing his job and doing it really, really well. And I think it's really easy to project that at the very least translating the NFL and maybe he can be a, a true like number one lockdown guy. I think we'll see him get more physical in the NFL than he was mm-hmm. at Alabama. I think he has great technique and it shines in the film. Like you said, he has those long arms and you know, Hey, if guys are trying to do pick plays and cut inside, jam them up at the line of scrimmage. You're big, you're strong. I think we're going to see him kind of lean on that a little bit more than he did at times at, at Alabama. And I don't know, is he, is he going to be like the best cornerback that's come out in the last decade? We'll have to see, but, he just feels so safe at this point. And I guess sometimes those are the picks that, that worry you a little bit. He's so safe. It's like, what am I missing here? But I don't know. I just, I, I have so much confidence in him. And, and out of all these guys, he just feels like the safest in, in what is a pretty, you know, decent top three. By a mile. Um, I will say that my second rated cornerback is Caleb Farley, because I do think there is that upside to be a lockdown corner. Um, he's come back from an ACL already and had his best season. I mean, was truly locked down, has pretty rare size and athleticism. Not always super duper locked in. Like if he's off, like he'll he'll give a little too much of a cushion and take him a minute to close that down. Um, he can give up some big plays, but certainly not at the level of JC Horn, who to me is a real like JC Horn giveth and JC Horn taketh away. And I can't get out of my head the fact that J.C. Horn, um, you know, like a, go back to the 2019 tape. He's not their number one corner. It's uh, Israel Mukuamu by a long mile. He's the guy that teams are picking on. You can even look at the coverage. That's, they're not great for J.C. Horn back in 2019. Even his best game last year where he had two picks, like he still gave up a couple big plays or was really close, you know. I just think the eye discipline needs to get better. He needs to become more technically proficient. Um, but I certainly see the upside with Horn. Um, but yeah, Farley, I'm, I'm kind of willing to take that risk 
on um on the injuries just because the upside is so great. I would argue Farley probably the best, the highest ceiling of any corner in this class, which is saying something with all the praise we just put on Certain. Um, but they will end up in grading out, uh, grading out the same Horn and Farley. I just give the slight edge to Farley because of that higher upside. Um, I'll tell you with what I just said about Horn, Stokes is my cornerback three. Eric Stokes out of Georgia. Um, I, the upside to me is tremendous with that kid. Even clocked out of four two five. Um, his length is tremendous as well. Hank, we're talking about thirty two length arms. Um, I'm not sure what his wing is, but I'm sure it's pretty close to what you just gave out. Certain he can be a smidge um slow to recover on double moves and what have you he's also a former track star and played on offense in high school so still needs to refine the best parts of his game but he became their number one he can play press he can play off he can play in zone he's dynamic coming downhill and uh, i've even seen him used in the slot and be quite competent so i think eric stokes incredibly high floor like even worst case scenario he's like he's a ronald darby like he'll be making 10 million dollars a year for like eight years um, but best case scenario, you're talking about a guy who could be a real stud in the NFL. So Eric Stokes is my cornerback three, and then JC Horn becomes my cornerback four because of some of the concerns I mentioned earlier. Yeah, and and I uh, was just waiting to compare him to Ronald Darby, and you beat me to it um, because I do think like does is he good enough at playing the cornerback position to get the ball away from the receivers? Because that was kind of the thing it felt like going back and watching. Like there are times when he he doesn't get his head around. You know, there's like Devontae Smith mossing him in the end zone. And like that's Devontae Smith and he can do those things. But how many guys in the NFL are also going to be capable of doing that with Eric Stokes? Because it does seem like for the most part, he, he's able to stick with guys. It's just that last part, getting the ball away. And, and that's true of a lot of cornerbacks, but that's also why I wonder if, you know, he is just somebody who you have to accept, like he he's a number two corner. You're not lining him up against, you know, whoever the best receiver on the other side is and, and asking him to take him away. Um, because I'm just not sure that he has the ball skills, the the breaking up pass skills to consistently be that guy. It feels more like a number two corner to me who is going to have more good games than bad games, and you're happy giving him the, the Ronald Darby money. Just telling you, based on the experience at the position and, uh, and uh, you know, the athletic side and size, I think there's more there. Um, Great tape against Florida, too, and finally got four picks this year. Uh, that was a knock on him coming into the season, no interceptions. Fellows, three and four for you. Yeah, I'm with you, Dre. I've got Stokes at three. Um, I've got Farley at four, so same mm-hmm. top four or just different order. Uh, my thing with Stokes, I, I, I'm i with you, Hank, on the ball skills a bit. I wish you would have showed that a bit more. Yeah. Um, he He's not really technically the best corner back in this class, and he can be a, a bit grabby at times. Uh, also can get caught leaning his thing though, is that his speed and that closing speed makes it masks so many of those flaws that that the upside you see with him. I mean, if he could just figure it out in his lower half and just be more consistent in his technique with yeah. that closing speed, um, the sky's the limit really with him. Uh, you know, you're talking about all these fasts coming in this year, Schwartz, Rondale Moore, Elijah Moore, uh, you know, you think about the Tyree kills in the league already. He's a guy that you just automatically have to think about just because of how fast he is and being a chip player for those guys. 
Yeah, 100%. Justin? I came in and I had Horn and Stokes really close as far as my 3-4 because it was the same deal. Really raw with a lot of them, with both yeah. of them. I liked yeah. a lot of what I saw. At times, I felt like it was a little too inconsistent, but both of them have really high ceilings. It's just going to be, can they find that consistency, be a little higher? After what you know, you guys have said, I think I'm leaning Stokes a little bit more than Horn, maybe. So maybe I would put Stokes 3 and Horn 4. But I do like... I'm I'm higher on these four, and even I'll go with five. I like Newsom at five, Asante mm. Samuel Jr. at six. And mm-hmm. honestly, I think there's a lot to like about all these guys. Again, I think yep. Sertain and, and Farley are, are the most consistent with what we've seen. But I don't know. I, I'm I'm not sure that some of these guys are guaranteed to be cornerback twos. I, I just think with Stokes athleticism, finally seeing the ball skills like you brought up, you really like that there. I like Asante Samuel Jr.'s aggressiveness. Again, gives up yeah. too many big plays. But yeah. I, I like corners that are willing to be a little bit risky. You know, Talib had that in him. Yeah, he got burned every now and then, but it was also the same reason, you know, he like led the league in pick sixes. He was just willing to to jump the ball. I mean, you're not always going to be cornerback one who just locks down half of the field. So you got to be feisty. You come back. Exactly. Even if you just gave up a big play, you got to come back with that mentality that you're going to get a big play back. That's that's what Ronald Darby reminds me of. And I like that comp with Samuel. It's not too far off. Um, Hank, 3-4? Like I said, I've got Farley at three. Um, right, close right, with right. horn those those are all yeah. number number one guys to me from there yes. i go to the speed guys um i i've got newsome ahead of stokes i am if you want to take yep. stokes in front of newsome i'm not going to argue with me with you though definitely not going to argue with myself either but um newsome he's fast i mean what was he was he like a 429 or something uh no very four, fast, three, eight. Fast. but yeah just, got just good size too yeah, yeah, good size, fluid, didn't pick the ball off all that much, but good mm-hmm. in the modern NFL. I think that like if, if you want to go man-to-man against the Chiefs, which you kind of have to because you can't go zone, uh, you can't really go man either, and that's the problem with playing the Chiefs. Like yeah. Looking for guys who can stick with those speedy receivers, definitely like a, a little bit smaller cornerback probably, but he's so fast. I think that... You line him up out there, and he's another one. I think uh, Justin mentioned this with uh, Sertain potentially in the NFL being better because he's the press guy because he does have that length, and you just don't see college defenses jam guys up at the line all that much. I think maybe you could see some of that with Newsom too. I, I think that he's somebody who could excel just because he has the 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 speed to to make up for whatever happens if it doesn't go well. Um, and so he he got my number four spot. And you guys have talked about, or I guess I've talked about Eric Stokes too. So. That's my uh, top five. Oh, that's your top five. Okay, cool. Yep. And uh, with Asante Samuel, that's close to my top seven. We're missing one name. Jake, close out your top five, though. So I'm with Hank. I've got Newsom at five. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of checks all the boxes. I like how twitched up he is, too. Yes. Um, a bit more so than some of the guys in that top four. Yeah. Um, the ability to mirror as well is also mm-hmm. another thing I loved about him. Just smooth transitions. And then at number six, I've got, oh God, Efetu Melifonwu from Syracuse. Um, the long, rangy, athletic prospect from Syracuse. Syracuse has some ballers in that secondary. <laughs> no kidding. Um, he really finds his way to the football. And, you know, when you're talking about Kyle Pitts, Travis Kelsey, all these matchup nightmares on offense, he's a guy that could potentially 
especially rare in that department because he is able to get around these bigger wide receivers and tight ends and still make plays on the ball. Um, and he, that athletic profile, I think he's able to still kind of hang with some of the quicker guys. Uh, I really like Melifano. It could be kind of a, I don't know, all jack of all trades, nickel outside safety, even if you wanted to. He mm-hmm. might be the second best tackler of all these corners. Too, yes. I think Sertain's the best tackler, but I think watching him, that really jumped out to me and that, that stood out to me a lot. And I, I think I probably should have watched more of them to be honest, because I, I probably would have had him even higher, but I love a corner that can tackle. That feels just so rare these days. I, I must have caught him on the bad game because uh, Tua's little brother brother was lighting up Syracuse, and um, he missed a few. But his talent is insane. A, a name that's squarely in my top six is Israel Mukuamu, the other South Carolina cornerback. I see some even listing him as a safety, um, which he played more last year, which I think kind of did him a disservice. He's going to be very scheme-specific. He's that classic cover three press Seattle-style corner. He is so long. Similar to Eric Stokes' 4-2 speed and how that makes up for so much of um, what he you know, gives up and lacks in technique or quick twitch athleticism. Mukam was the same with his length. And he also, what I love about him is he knows who he is, which means he's so long, he's not going to overreact to every little move. He's steady Eddie. Once you finally commit, he'll be right there with you. He's going to recover like that. And I love that as a fallback plan, he can still be your fifth DB or even a, uh, a cover two safety for you in a two deep look. So um, Mukuamu to me has some really nice upside in the right system. Um, you know, it, his versatility is nice, man. That, and his versatility that front is seven a nice didn't do back. any help for the, for the South Carolina secondary. I mean, they were in some brutal spots. The quarterbacks yeah. having all day. And, and that, I mean, that's like, the one thing that I tried to not hold against him and horn. You know what I mean? It was just, you watch that front seven, it's like, good God, like, how did these guys cover anybody? Because it's the day to do it eight, nine seconds of play. Well, in the one game in 2019 where Javon Kinlaw takes over three interceptions for Mukuamu and they pull off one of the biggest upsets in the SEC. And he was sticking with guys like George Pickens, who's going to be a top 10 pick in 2022. Um, so, yeah, yeah, uh, that's a strong, strong group right there. We've already mentioned Asante Samuel. I think there. Now we get into the more specific. You might have your favorite slot corner. You might have your favorite zone corner. You might have your favorite cover three corner that I just gave out. Um, your favorite like later upside pick. It's time to empty the clips, fellas. Who else is gonna um, kind of complete the back end of your top ten? I'll, I'll throw, I want to talk about Sante Samuel because he does fit in there. Um, I've been really high on him throughout the process, but then when I went back and watched more, I, w- I was disappointed, honestly. I thought that he he isn't much of a tackler, which is disappointing. Like he kind of... Because his dad laid the wood. He, yeah, he kind of just like puts his head down and then just kind of like throws himself. And occasionally he looks really, really dumb because of it. Um, and that's not like the most important thing, but I do feel like there is kind of this aversion to contact throughout and you see it with, I think a a lack of physicality when he's playing receivers downfield. Um, and some of that, I guess is like scheme. There's a lot of like off coverage where it seems like, like the defensive plan for Florida state was just like, 
don't don't get all messed up by first and second down. Third down, we're just going to throw guys at you. We're going to run man press coverage and just hope for the best. And because of that, like it seems like Asante Samuel, you know, he's another one who the the ball skills aren't great. Like it's better in like close spaces, like middle yeah. of the field linebacker he's range. Zone where you can, corner like, through and through. Jump around and burst and do those sorts of things. But downfield, he's another one where it's like, get your head around. Get your head around. Your your yeah. your dad knew how to get his head around. How do you not know that? And so I was maybe just because my expectations were so high after what I remember seeing beforehand. But he, uh, I'm no longer saying draft him at 41 if you can. That whole Florida State defense was rough, though. Again, yeah. and not yeah. trying to make excuses, but it, it is a factor when you are a corner and you're so dependent on some of these other guys impacting the play. Well, and plenty of dudes making business decisions on that back end, too. Um, and he's, to me, like, fits, in theory, best in the slot, except that he can't really tackle. And so, yeah, can, no. can you even do that? And he's I don't an off, think he He's an off and zone guy. Like I want to get my two cents in on, pounds. on him yeah. because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's lazy, but I feel like with corners, you really have to take into account the athletic testing and his athletic numbers were not very impressive. Um, again, with the ball skills, he had three interceptions this year. So all three of them, one was against Jacksonville state and two, the other two were thrown right to him in that Georgia tech game. So I don't really see the ball skills. Um, he does play aggressive, but it's not like technically sound. Like he's, he'll come up and hit people, but it's not like he's form tackling very well. So all, all the good things I saw from him are mostly kind of coming downhill, which does kind of concern me. And that's why I've got him further down the list. My next guy would be Elijah Molden though. I think he's probably the best pure nickel in the class. Um, another you- guy testing, not great size, not great, but plays nope. big, um, instinctive. So, I mean, if well, you're looking for what's Molden, up? you love close to the line of scrimmage, unlike Sam. Yes, exactly. And you love him in the slot. To me, Elijah Mo, Elijah Moore, maybe the upside isn't huge, but he's a set and forget slot receiver who's probably going to be like a high end starter for you for 10 years. Molden, same thing, only in the nickel. I kind of hated Jake that they used him at safety from time to time. Yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, his play around the line of scrimmage and like underneath and his instincts in those areas is where he needs to be. So um, hopefully NFL teams take note or the team that takes him at least takes note of that because if he plays safety, it's kind of one of those weird things where it's like, what are you doing already? Mm -hmm. Yep, the further from the line of scrimmage. And you look at him, you might even think Tyron Matthew, the only concern is that long speed turning and running with guys. That's the only concern there with Molden. He feels like a Fangio type, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just wanted to Justin. throw that out there. Yes, Justin. He is the definition almost of a Fangio type to some extent. Another Fangio type. And for me, Samuel Molden, Robinson, all very close. And it's Aaron Robinson out of UCF. Another guy who a fallback plan as a safety might even be there. Look, Asante Samuel, I know you don't like the physicality, but maybe playing further from the line of scrimmage as a as a deep safety might not be the worst fallback plan. But anyways, Robinson, I think, can compete um, close to the line of scrimmage. He can be a competent press corner. Um, he's not a lockdown, but he's going to be a really um, effective body for you to throw at wide receivers. So I like him, and I think that kind of closes out my my top 10. Um, anyone we haven't talked about, of course, Milan Fonwu, 
and uh, Mukuamu, two of the standouts for Jake and I's top tens. Um, and, I got to see Paulson Adebo. I mean, yes. again, inconsistent, but I think his ceiling is really high and a guy that you could probably pick up, you know, late third round and, and get pretty decent value out of. Yeah. Uh, Stanford, I think, let's see. Yeah, second team All-American, his uh, redshirt freshman season. Mm-hmm. That's really impressive. Uh, was not quite so impressive since then, um, but the interceptions are there. He's another, I mean, I feel like after you get past these these top few guys, it's just the ball skills, getting the head around, like some of those little mm-hmm. things where it's like, mm-hmm. discipline. How, how have you gotten to this point with without getting better at that? And I guess you watch college football, and it's like that is a weakness you typically see. Um, but if he gets that cleaned up, then yeah, I think that he does have big time potential. I mean, four, four, four doesn't like it, which is crazy. Like just scream, like great athlete, great speed, but that's definitely, uh, in the upper tier. I, I, I like, I like him. the way it plays. He's got good size. He's got yeah. good speed. He's intriguing. He can, um, he can hit occasionally. Mm-hmm. I think he's like a competitive in the run game. I'm, at the very I'm not least. sure you'd trust him in man all that frequently, but yeah. I like it's his athleticism, just moving out there and let him try and make plays on the ball. At least he's shown you some of the raw tools to be in man, you know, and I, I kind of group yeah. him as there's this next tier of corners outside my top 10 that Adebo, Tyson Campbell, like really high upside, Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky, really high upside, Milanfanu falls fall squarely in there. Um, Hyper had Joseph going to Denver in the second round, didn't he? Oh, wow. At 41. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're Which would right. Be, that would be a reach to me, especially with a lot of these guys we just talked about. Yeah. And I mean, we haven't even mentioned, you know, Sean Wade, uh, who obviously we've talked about throughout the year. Um, but there's some talent. There's some talent and depth. Um, Ambry Thomas and Benjamin St. Jude are guys that I've seen ranked fairly highly in different places. Again, St. Jude, another of these guys, I saw him get lit up by Maryland and Tua's little brother, and I can't get it out of my head. Tua's little brother, we're not talking about it at all. In 2022, he could change everything for that quarterback class. Just throwing that out there. Um, but yeah, I've got who a, else? Yes, go, Jay. Yeah, I've got a handful of guys I'd like to get to. Um, one, one of my favorite, I guess, day three prospects is Cameron Bynum from California. Dude, I yes. think he fits the mold of a Vangio guy for sure. Uh, plays big and mean at the line and in the run game, really physical, um, shows a great understanding of zone coverages underneath and deep, which I think is the big selling point. He could definitely fit that, uh, that OJ mold that they were looking for last year, later in the draft. Uh, I know the 40 isn't great and athletically is not great, but I mean, that's why you're you're taking him in this round and not in, you know, top 50. Um, a couple other guys, Shakir Brown from Michigan state is a guy that I thought was impressive in spurts this year. Uh, pretty small and the 40 yard dash and testing. Not great. I thought his ball skills were really impressive though. Um, another guy, Marco Wilson, I know his highlight of the year was throwing the shoe, but Holy cow. The testing is insane. Um, insane on the bench. He had 26 reps at five eleven, 191 pounds also ran a four, three, five. I mean, take that with the grain of salt with the pro days this year. Vertical jump, broad jump, insane also. Um, he's a guy that flashes at times with the technique and everything. I mean, he's one of those Florida defensive backs, so you kind of have to just trust the coaching and pedigree at that, uh, but inconsistent. Um, those are just some guys I wanted to rattle off. Uh, on Cam Bynum, I can also add uh, 
let's see, I guess that was Pac-12 media day when we we're talking with the coaches. Um, they had a lot of really good things to say about him, um, about how he's the leader of that defense, not just the defense, but like the entire team. Like I think he was like banged up, wasn't in uh, fall camp. And they were just talking about like how much that hurt the team, not having him around. Uh, so you can throw that little tidbit in there, like high character guy as well. Um, and I'll throw one more in uh, Elijah Griffin. Oh, actually two more. Elijah Griffin uh, yep. from USC, USC didn't test well. And that kind of sucks, but he, you know, watching Pac-12 football, he is, he's a number one Pac-12 cornerback. And he's, uh, again, like leader type of guy, a big attitude type of guy, number one type of mentality. And to be honest, I don't think it translates just because I don't think he has the foot speed or the, the physical skills in general. Um, or even just like the developed enough senses and that sort of thing to, to be that type of guy. But there is the upside there. If he can get past having like the four or five or four, six, whatever it was, 40 time. Um, I, I think that there's upside to be a number one guy. And so late round, throw throw something at him, see if, if something sticks. I, I, I don't mind it. Um, and then the other one, uh, Giamador Lenore uh, from Oregon. And really, I mean, this whole Oregon secondary, there's a lot of good things you can say uh, about them. Um, the downside, what I was disappointed by again is just the 40 time. And he ran a 444, which is really good, but he seemed like somebody who could like blaze, you know, be be that sort of guy. And as like five, five, ten, 199, I think that playing him in the slot gives you some upside. Uh, I, I kind of like the, the the quick twitch in there. Um, but again, the long speed outside, I, I that's another one. If you're taking like seventh round flyers. Um, those are the two Pac-12 guys I really like. For going seventh round flyers, I'll throw Avery Williams' name on the board. Um, yep. cornerback out of Boise State, definitely undersized, only five foot nine, 197 pounds, but he plays a lot bigger than he is. Really solid tackler. I'm not really sure what you do with him as far as an NFL corner goes. He'd be a sub guy, but he is really versatile. They used him in a lot of different ways. I think you could put him inside. Let him play close to the line of scrimmage, maybe blitz him occasionally. He's really, really fast. Incredibly dynamic special teams player, a dude that can completely change the game as a return guy. Blocked like four or five kicks over the last two years, just an, a game changing type quickness. I, I, I don't know what you do with him consistently, but just kind of one of those value picks where if he's sitting there and you're like, oh, I don't really know, he's a guy where you could land in the seventh round and potentially. He will win the or two for you on special teams just because it's dynamic. There you go. Um, it's a pack class, man. It's a pack class. There's a lot of talent. Brian Mills, who was at the Senior Bowl, North Carolina Central. Um, Robert Rochelle, who tested really well out of Central Arkansas, are two dudes. Oregon's got a couple of dudes we've mentioned throughout the year, and Thomas Graham and uh, Demondre Lenore. Um, yeah, there's some talent left and right here. So. That's going to do it for us on this cornerback class. We've got some questions from the big T. We're going to get into a few more stuff, things to touch on with the cornerback class from him and Micah Parsons and what have you. So stay tuned after our final break. Honest question. It's 2020, whoa, 2021. Uh, why haven't you trimmed your ball hair yet? Uh, hey, you. Yeah, you. Uh, got Bush? You definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today. Wow. 
Manscaped. Uh, after using these life-changing products, you're going to want to join a Ballsack Beauty contest. I'm looking out for you too, because I also have an exclusive 20% off discount if you use the code DMVR at manscaped.com. Uh, we've told you about the Perfect Package 3.0 plenty of times. Comes with the Lawnmower 3.0, the waterproof cordless body trimmer, um, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. Uh, it's seriously the best trimmer that you can find. Um, like I said, waterproof. It has like this little light on it that is very useful. Um, it comes with advanced skin safe technology that was pioneered by Manscaped. Um, again, just a whole bunch of good stuff. There's like deodorant, uh, the crop reviver. There's just a bunch of really great products. And on top of that, you can get two free gifts, the shed travel bag. It's a $39 value. Um, and you can get the patented a patented high performance reduced chafing manscaped boxers. Uh, you can also, as I said earlier, get 20% off and free shipping with the code DMVR at manscaped.com. Make sure that you take advantage of that because it's 2021. And if you still got Bush, uh, you should change that with manscaped. Very nice. We've got two questions from our guy, big T, um, a regular listener of the show for many years. He's, I know he does his work. Um, so it's a two-parter. He sends one question that he sent over a month ago that I guess we didn't get to for whatever reason, kind of explaining how he really sees Trey Lance as being kind of an overrated media creation that he'd watched highlights and just sees him running away from, you know, low-level FCS players and throwing it to wide-open guys. Um, and, you know, he just thinks he's, he's a complete... Uh, round one creation and uh, look I can respect that I will say that looking at highlights you're not getting the full picture and that um, a lot of the high-end throws really come from him within the pocket and they might even be dropped um, and part of his intrigue is how many of those pro style concepts he's running on top of all those raw tools but then he also comes in and says what's up fellas long time no speak I posted this a month ago regarding his last comment, but it wasn't read out for whatever reason. Maybe I missed the deadline. Things have slightly changed now in that I have watched a lot of tape, especially on QBs, but this is what I wrote a month ago. Dot, dot. Sorry for the absence. Just been flat out with work and the PS4 DMVR Madden League, which still has spots available if anyone wants in. A not-so-humble plug, plug here. Anyhow, I'm usually pretty good for someone this side of the pond on college prospects, he, he's out in England. But this year, I've watched hardly anything, so I need some help. I'm just scratching the surface on tape watching, but here are some potential first-round players that intrigue me and who I would like your views on. Again, because they might have changed. Patrick Sertain. Don't like him at nine, but respect him. I've watched some games where it gets turned around and beaten deep, though. Have you guys noticed that at all? Yes, that's... Uh, Something we touched on, right, fellas? Uh, Justin, you talked about that. You actually see that a little more in 2020 than you even do in 2019 or 2018. But that is the one concern is, does he play to that speed? Yeah, I mean, it, that's exactly what we got into earlier. It's That is probably the one concern is there were a, a few too many of those this year. You know, three or four of them where it's like, oh, he probably should have got back on that one. But again, it was just, I mean, the whole Alabama defense as a whole just wasn't what it was. The pass rush wasn't as consistent. A lot of times he was, you know, in man situations where he didn't have any safety help. 
And that that's just a tough draw consistently when you're going against that type of talent in the SEC. But I think it's a valid concern, especially, you know, when we yep. talk about the highs and lows of all these, these, you know, various top guys. Especially at nine too. Caleb Farley. Yeah, he looks amazing, but how many back surgeries has he had? A bit worried about him at nine. Way too high for me based on the risk. I think we all agree, right? Like he was, I'm the only one who had him as CB2. And even I, that's too rich. Um, if anything, Caleb Farley might be an opportunity. You hope he drops all the way to 41 or maybe... He's dropped to like 25 and you trade back up and he can kind of be what Justin Simmons was a couple of years ago, the talented defensive tackle out of Mississippi State who dropped because of injuries. This is an interesting Trevor Mooring quickly becoming one of my favorite players in this draft. I know it's not a need, but if we trade back and pick him, dang, we have a great player in the making and a replacement. For Jackson, we agree he's a box safety. Check out all the safety episode on that on our thoughts for there. Michael Parsons, if Broncos are fine with off-field hazing, then, oh my, this guy could be the best player in the draft. I reckon our locker room could handle a little bit of... Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just go past that one. But um, <laughs> Yeah, Parsons... We already talked about this, right? I mean, yeah. we talked about Yatir Grossmatos yeah. being brought up in the report and how it didn't really affect his draft yeah. stock. Um, yeah. I wish I could recall what episode it was, but I don't think any of us are really concerned about. The it must be the linebacker. Um, I think. Episode. I think it was right after that stuff, like, kind of resurfaced. I'm concerned about his real position. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, like, if you want to Google Micah Parsons, and there'll probably be like five stories in two days about like that stuff because people just realized again, it'll be like the first podcast after that. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Um. And then Gregory Russo, he looked unbelievable up times two years ago, too small to play 340 for me and not, and doesn't have the frame to expand enough, but could he learn to cover and be a Vaughn Miller understudy? Maybe that's the plan. Hell no at nine. Um, yeah, check out the, the episode where we talk about the edges. I do think he's got room to grow. Definitely not a Vaughn Miller understudy though. Um, but, and I think we all agree that at nine, he's, that would be too rich. Mm-hmm. So then, aside from Sewell, top four or five quarterbacks, a handful of wide receivers, and Kyle Pitts, I don't think there's anyone worth picking at nine that wouldn't have a great chance, uh, that we wouldn't have a great chance at picking later. So for me, Sewell isn't there. He won't be. Then it's trade back. We could get a haul if we play it right. QBs don't need one. We have one. We all know what we have in lock at the end of the year. Oh, we'll all know. Yeah, we cry about our QB over the last five years. And when one shows promise, half Broncos country wants to move on after one difficult season. Let's give him this year, guys and gals. will then know at the end of the year, he is the answer. But in the meantime, get behind him and show him our support if you want him to succeed. Peace out and love all the big Tabowski. Um, Hey, man, I love that you guys can share your takes. Mm -hmm. I love that we can respond to that. I will say this. If you guys are... George Payton's assistant GM and the general has told you, Hey, we're going with lock another year. Okay. We're going to make sure we know this thing. Um, I can tell you right now, all the top five QBs are going to go before our pick and it's going to be hard to trade out of it. So we're probably stuck at nine and I want to draft someone who's going to give lock the best chance to succeed. Who do you take at nine? Rashawn Slater. Protect the quarterback, uh, baby. 
if I know there's there's a question there with Juwan James, and you hope that he pans out, but that's a sure that's a lot of hoping at this point. I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen this dude on the football field. And I I don't know, man. It just to me, that's the safest pick in terms of if if we're trying to put Drew Locke in the best position, and then I'm mm-hmm. I'm adding that that is you know the logic that i'm thinking behind Uh, absolutely to be clear we would all be pissed if we knew this was how the broncos gm was operating not value not need right right but but i'm painting this scenario so okay i I do think rashawn slater might be the the correct answer um but there are a variety of ways you can go jake yeah i was gonna say the tackles but then i keep on coming back i think the best overall fit would be jok i mean Mm-hmm. I know you're not really looking to take him at nine, but he fills a need and he improves your defense at the same time by adding a different element. Um, I know it's not necessarily catering to lock and trying to help him with that pick. Um, but I mean, you beef the defense up even more and this could be something that, you know, I don't want to say 2015 like, but we're getting close to that. Yeah. And you're not bringing yeah. in competition. So you're not hurting him. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't hate that. Um, what I'll say is if Penny Sewell is available, that is the, the definite answer. Um, from there though, I do go offensive line, um, Slater, Elijah Vera Tucker, I think should be a conversation as well. Um, likely to be a guard than a tackle than, uh, Slater is, but both of them really could go either way. Um, one of those two guys and just say like, Hey, odds are, I think if you draft one of them, I think that they do start. I think that out of. Juwan James, Graham Glasgow, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry. And I don't think you throw Dalton Reisner in there because I think Dalton Reisner does beat one of those guys. But I, I think if you draft one of those two guys, they do beat one of those three. And honestly, maybe Natane Moody will anyway. But I do think offensive line is the way to go. But after that, the conversation, it's not a receiver, but it's its either Pitts or uh, whatever defender you like. And I think that that's a really tough conversation. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, was assuming Pitts wouldn't be there. Same, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think Pitts, that's a good assumption. Pitts Sewell are the default answers, uh, no doubt. Um, yeah, I, I think there saw probably a more natural right tackle than even Slater, certainly more than Vera, Vera Tucker. I look forward to getting into all those guys, yeah. um, in our O line episode. I'll throw this out there. This is something I've been mulling over. I mean, and I'm, I've been mulling over it because you guys have had me studying these cornerbacks. And the best way to study a cornerback, especially if you have some 2020 SEC tape, is put on the Florida game. Because, uh, you know, there was no tougher test in college football, really, than that Gators offense. And the more I watch of Kadarius Toney, the more I think... We talk so much about Micah Parsons and JOK as the positionless, like, studs. Tony might just be that on offense. And if I told you he's the next Alvin Kamara... Maybe it would be worth a pick at nine. I'm just saying, Justin. I'm just I mean, if he's the next Alvin Kamara, he's absolutely worth the pick at nine. Yeah. Which, I mean, if that's what we're saying, his ceiling could be. ah. And gun to my head, I I do have him ranked higher than those online. He's he's so so freaking good. good. He's a beast. Um, Can I go back to the quarterback question real quick, though? Just because, I mean, he says we have a quarterback. I mean, fine. I mean, you can look at all the metrics, though. Locke was near bottom of the league in almost every major stat and analytic. Uh, I just think that the way the NFL is thinking about quarterbacks is changing. It's no longer about trying to get a quarterback. It's trying to get one of the best quarterbacks in the league. 
There are so many athletes and good quarterbacks in the league now that you need to try and get one of the best quarterbacks in the league in order to be a serious contender um, in today's NFL. And I think that's what the 49ers did. They realized that they have Jimmy G. They do have a quarterback that can function the offense. And when he's on, I mean, you saw it two years ago, they went to the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. but they're obviously trying for something more. They're trying to get one of these guys, Fields, Lance, maybe Mac Jones, we'll see. But Mm -hmm. they, they made this move to try and get a quarterback that could potentially be you know, top 10 quarterback, top five quarterback in the league and really push this team to the next level. And I think that's what the Broncos need to do. That's a great point. And it's a twofold deal where you want one of those top five quarterbacks because whether you have a top five quarterback or you have a top 15 quarterback, once his contract is up, you're going to have to pay him like a top five quarterback that year. So if you don't want to overpay and you want to properly pay your quarterback, you better hope he's one of the top five guys because the market is going to dictate you'll have to pay him like one, whether he is or isn't. The other side of the coin is the most valuable commodity in all of sports is the four years, even five of cost control that you have in a rookie quarterback. And Drew Locke, we're already at year three of that rookie contract. So that window... Mm -hmm of possibility quickly shutting. So two things to keep in mind, um, though certainly I had him rank, uh, you know, I had Locke rank quite high. I still believe in the upside. And I think it is undeniable that the circumstances last year were um, basically unheard of. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, building on that though, I mean, on top of it, Drew Locke is eight years away from his best season. I firmly believe that whether his best season is like the 25th best quarterback in the NFL, or he gets into the top five, top 10, like we're seeing quarterbacks at this point, usually put their best performances out age 31, 32, 33. Statistically, at least that's what you see. Um, And there's a lot of reasons for that. And we don't need to dig into all of them. The exception though is mobile quarterbacks. And that's why if you're going with young quarterbacks, it does kind of make more sense to go get your whoever who's going to be hot for the three, four years. You're going to have them on the cheap deal instead of, you know, the guys who like Drew Locke, who I legitimately think his best football may be a decade away. Same for Mac Jones. Go ahead, Justin. I just wondered, obviously, the, the argument for drafting a quarterback is you have the five years would you rather push that window back on somebody else a year and not waste one of his five years and just see what happens with Drew Locke this year? Or are you, is it, you know, strike while the iron is hot. We know these guys are, are going to be good. We're not a hundred percent sure what's happening in this next class. So we, we just got to do it while we have a top 10 pick. I don't know. I, I, I just wonder, like, do you want to waste that one yes. year sitting on the bench? Is it worth it at that point? Yeah, it's the economic concept of opportunity cost. So by yeah. not selecting a quarterback with the top 10 pick, that means you're now on the hook for having not selected one. So if they uh, one of those quarterbacks pans out and they were on the board for you, you'll come to regret that, especially if Locke doesn't develop and you find that he's not the guy after one year so. Yeah, that's all baked into this, 100%. And Trey Lance, I totally get the concerns. One-year quarterbacks, we've talked about it before. Jake, it goes against the Bill Parcells uh, rules of how you evaluate a quarterback, but there are also extenuating circumstances. He was dominant in one year, and you just think, boy, what 
what could have been in store for us in year two and what can the upside be with this kid? Um, and when that comes at the most valuable position in sports, and you got to take that seriously. You reminded me of something earlier when you're talking about uh, Kadarius Tony, uh, which by the way, they draft him at nine. I don't think that's a good pick. But what I will say is that I'm really happy that you are willing to push for that because I feel like you have to have like the full spectrum of views and there is not enough like Kadarius Tony is really, really good hype in the same way that the big T had like this Trey Lance is a second round quarterback thing. And I, I do not agree with that. But at the same time, having somebody explain why they think that, I think that there is some value there. And, you know, I, I, I did go back and look at the numbers. Um for the Trey Lance deep balls, just out of curiosity. And it was like 39% on target for the deep balls compared to like 67 for Zach Wilson and, and Mac Jones. You can find stats, then cherry pick them and find things that make somebody look good, make somebody look bad. The truth is Trey Lance is just a very, very, very difficult quarterback to, uh, to, to evaluate because he's totally different than anybody else that we've seen. Except for maybe like Carson Wentz. Well, that and (laughs) his his comparisons are all projects. Yeah, exactly. Carson Wentz, I went back just because we were talking about this a couple days ago, Dre. I think uh, Trey Lance last year had like 1,100 rushing yards. Carson's best at NDSU was like 650 or 700 right around there. Just for like perspective, what is the difference as a runner between Carson Wentz and Trey Lance? Obviously, a lot of other things go into that, but as we try to find anything at all that puts Trey Lance in context, there's another just little piece that you throw in your brain. Yeah, and I mean, I'll I'll tell you, Big T, I he's a rule breaker for me to be given a first round grade, but his upside's so great that he has to, and it's out of his circumstances that he only started one year. You know, like they redshirted him when Easton Stick was there. They started him as a redshirt uh, freshman. And he's dominant. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you. Other and then he plays one game this changing. year. Like Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes. Like there were a lot of, you know, like, oh, yeah. yeah, there were a lot of things to nitpick with all these guys coming out, but it, they're just the raw tools when they're that evident. That's, that's what you have here. Like, yeah, the deep ball accuracy is not great, but again, I don't think his receivers were as good as the other guys. So, you know, mm-hmm. you put him with these Alabama receivers, is he completing more like 55 to 60% of his deep balls? I think that's possible. I don't, maybe it's not fair to me to assume that, but just with the way he throws the football, mm-hmm. it's possible. It's just, it, I don't know. It's such a crapshoot this year, but I, I love him. I'm intrigued by him. I feel like, again, like quarterbacks just all have to exist in a vacuum. And that's, that's my personal opinion because everything is different. You know, people want to compare him to Josh Allen and their traits, they're similar. At the same time, Josh Allen did not get a division one offer out of high school, went to junior college and completed 49% of his passes there. From there, five years later, he wins two playoff games. Just like a crazy path. He went through Wyoming on the way and was disappointing from the most part there. Like it, it, all of these guys are just, they, they come from different backgrounds, go through different paths. And that's what makes it so hard, especially when each team only plays one instead of receiver where there's like 60 guys who could get drafted. That's why scouting's about traits. You scout the traits and project the traits. That's why you don't take everything at face value when it comes to projecting these guys into the NFL. 100%. That's why I like to say, you know, we're not we're not gymnastics judges at the Olympics here. We're not grading 
every single thing on your resume needs to be perfect or I'm going to know. It's exactly right, Jake. It's about traits because we're ultimately trying to figure out who's going to turn into the best NFL player of the bunch. Mm -hmm. And yes, having a good college career correlates to having a good NFL career, but it's not the end all be all. Um, and it goes without saying all these guys were talking about pretty darn good college careers in the greater scheme of things, except for Jason Owe. He's the only one that doesn't apply to. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. That's a, that's a fun one, fellas. It's been a blast as always. We'll be back next week. O-line um, lots to talk about, especially since as we kind of hinted in this last segment, that's if there were a position that's not quarterback, you would go with and nine. If you're stuck there, it probably is that O-line. So, um, Catch us then. Thank you for the questions. Thank you, Big T, for tuning back in. Nice to hear from you. Take care. We'll talk soon.